everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 60, entitled Wormwood. And today's topic is a very, very interesting topic, one that draws a lot of speculation, not only by Christians, but by non-Christians, as they reference um, what Wormwood is. And Wormwood shows up in Revelation um, you know, 8 verses 10 through 11, but is actually sort of part of the greater narrative that's in Revelation 8 that we're going to come back to. But we're going to talk about it in terms of what it is and what it will do in the future. We're going to talk about it in terms of how it helps us to understand end-time chronology and how it fits into other passages that talks about Wormwood and how it connects into other end-time prophecy. So we're going to talk about this in sort of a wide, sort of expansive sort of way today, even though it's only got, you know, it's only mentioned twice in the Bible in terms of Wormwood in the New Testament, uh, and specifically in Revelation 8. And so even though it has that sort of small wedge into end time prophecy, it's part of a, a larger narrative. And it's important to understand that. And uh, we're going to give you some tools to sort of help sort through some of the other information that might be out there, because I think it's important to measure everything um, that we read outside the Bible within the context of the Bible. And so we're going to apply my typical sort of approach to understanding end time prophecy. So we're going to be putting things around what Jesus said, not vice versa. And this includes the book of Revelation and this includes how what Jesus said sort of ties into the Wormwood prophecy. And we're not going to leave out the inconvenient passages. And we're going to talk about it in a way that it fits into other end time prophecies. So we're going to begin with what Nibiru is in terms of how people outside the Bible talk about its connection to Wormwood. And so you'll hear that term Nibiru and Wormwood that's, that's sort of tied in. And there's some really wonderful speculation that goes on out there, really, really sort of creative. Um, so we're going to talk just a little bit about it before we move into the Bible. And so Nibiru is in the alien sort of a mythos of his planet X, and it's associated with the Anunnaki. And the Anunnaki are Sumerian watchers. So it's, it's got to do with fallen angels, but in the alien mythos, these are just sort of advanced aliens. And Nibiru and Wormwood are, are also associated to the 12th planet in that sort of understanding in the ancient mythos of what Sitchin writes about. And of course, Sitchin was a Freemason and a Gnostic, so he has a biases, just like I have a Christian biases. So he's writing from a biases, though, that has an agenda, which we don't want to do from a Christian perspective. We want to interpret the Bible and understand the Bible as it's said and not have preconceived conclusions, whereas Sitchin has more of a preconceived conclusion that this is about aliens. And therefore, uh, filters everything through that lens. So this is about not discounting aliens being part of the end time. And certainly I think we ought to be ready 
for that type of happening and we need to be prepared that this is going to happen in the end time. And so we don't want to rule it out, but we want to make sure that we understand it in a way that is sort of biblically um, acceptable and biblically, that makes sense biblically. And in Revelation 8, we're into the last seven years. So we're seeing a ramping up of the, of the alien mythos, but we don't really have that full impact yet, but it looks like it might be coming. And we're going to see Revelation 8, and in particularly the Wormwood Prophecy drafted into all of this other globalism and universalism and us being one of many different species in this galactic table of peoples that are trying to prevent the oppression of the dark lord of the universe that they would call the God of the Bible. So we need to understand what their premise is and that we need to be able to filter through the information that's going to be coming at us. So let's get a little bit closer then back to what the Bible says in Revelation 8 about this great star that comes from heaven. And so when we look at that word uh, star, that's the Greek word aster, and it can mean figuratively a star, or it could mean an angel just as angels are called stars, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And particularly in Revelations, we get that as an understanding. And the word heaven, where the star comes from, is the word oranos, which means from the sky, but it also could mean from the third heaven where God is in. And we have three heavens. The heaven, that's the shama in, in, in Hebrew, and the shamaim for the plural for the heavens, First one being where God is, is is in heaven. The second one is is what's outside the firmament in the greater universe, and then what's within the firmament that would include the sun and the and uh, uh, you know our planets and our solar system. And the stars wouldn't probably be in that solar system; they would be further out. But the sun would be the only star. So those are the three: in the firmament outside the firmament and in heaven from a biblical sort of perspective. And so when we look at the understanding of star, does that sort of fit with the planet that's talked about in, in, in the Nimbaru mythos? And perhaps it does. There might be a fit there, but it's not. But stars and planets are different. But where I'm going with this is that we get wandering stars that are talked about in the Bible. And we also understand when the gods are named after stars and they're also named after planets, you get sort of that crossover. So then the question gets to be, is this a particular angel that is coming down? Is it a star? Is it a planet? Is it, is it an asteroid? And that's where, if we don't dig deeper into it, that's where we sort of get drawn into um, this, this Nibiru understanding of it that we're going to try and give you a better explanation for that fits better biblically. So these wandering stars are also recorded in Jude 113. And the wandering stars are basically um, planets, wandering planets. And from planetes in Greek and from a planos. And so when we look at how polytheists look at the wandering stars 
and how it's represented in sort of the, the general knowledge that's out there outside of the Bible, that would include the Sun and the Moon and Mercury and Venus and Saturn and Mars and Jupiter. Those are the seven wandering stars, seven planets, the seven major gods, the seven major fallen angels who report to Satan and are running this earth through the Council of the Gods in Psalm 82. And what's interesting about that word planos that planetes is rooted in is that means also an imposter and a deceiver and somebody that misleads. So in John 2.1.7 we get deceiver where it derives from planos and there are many deceivers and they are classified there as antichrist. And so antichrist and planos in this deceiver understanding is going to be something that we're going to want to keep into our understanding of what's going on in in the last seven years. And then also I want you to keep in mind 1 Timothy 4.1 where it has seducing spirits and doctrines of the devils of the uh, of this period of time. And that's in the latter times that 1 Timothy, Timothy 4.1 is talking about. So seducing is the word planos, seducing spirits like Ruach in, in, the, in the Old Testament as a spirit, as we would understand that. And also it means the same thing in Greek. They have, there's a word there for, for, for Greek as well for spirit that it would go back to, but it means the same as Ruach in the Old Testament. And these are the doctrines of devils, not of diablos, of daemons or demons. So these are deducing evil spirits in the end times. So we're going to have some sort of impact, perhaps, with the Antichrist figures. And there's going to be more than one Antichrist, and we'll come back to that in a second. And what is going on with these seven wandering stars of the gods, and as it is going to fit with sort of Wormwood. So we've got some interesting sort of concepts as we start layering in some of the understanding of this. So, but we have to understand that all of this information is going to be twisted for the polytheist agenda that's coming. So if we understand that Wormwood is going to happen, um, after Revelation 6, after the openings of the seal, and that the seal judgments came with 25% uh, destruction, then it's going to start to make some sense in terms of this is another set of events because we're going to be talking about the trumpets that are going to have 33% destruction. And it's an increasing of the destruction that is going to be taking place and it happens after the day of the Lord fear that happens in Revelation 6 and that's in Revelation 6 17 and the great princes and the rulers of the earth are hiding in caves because they think it's the day of the Lord and it's not going to be and there's going to be a similar sort of overlay on to what happens in in the trumpets but before we get into that, let's look at Revelation 8, um, 7. And in Revelation 8, 7, we get one-third destruction that's destroyed by hail and fire, and this is the first trumpet. And then in 8, 8, we get one-third of destruction, this time of the sea, the oceans, in this case, from a burning mountain, and that's the second trumpet. And then 
I'm going to skip over a trumpet and come back to the third in a second. And the fourth trumpet is we get the consequences of what is going on here in terms of the hail fire coming down from heaven and the burning mountain that's going to destroy the sea. It's going to destroy a third of the seed, destroy a third of all the grass and the trees, all the vegetation of the earth, one third. And then a third of the sky is going to be darkened as a consequence thereof. These seem to be either judgments from God or man-made destructions. And I lean on the man-made destructions and that this seems to be indicating a war. And just as in Revelation 6, that ends where people think it's the day of the Lord, including a large earthquake, you have all of the seal judgments that sort of cumulate into that sort of effect. You're going to have the same effect in Revelation 8 that's going to cumulate into an Armageddon-like war as well. And there may be another war that happens at the end of the seals that is causing people to think that it's the day of the Lord. But we'll come back to that. But just to let you know sort of directionally where I'm coming from and where we're going. So in Revelation 8.11, you have um, <clears throat> all of the fresh water now that's going to be affected by the third trumpet, which is the wormwood uh, destruction. And that this fiery burning star falls from heaven and it's called uh, wormwood and it's going to make the waters become bitter which is very important and the waters became wormwood so the waters likely aren't becoming a planet that wouldn't make any sense but they might be like becoming like wormwood because of the, the war that is likely taking place here that I think is that 200 million man war. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But just wanted to sort of lay that down, that, that the water becomes wormwood. And that's the meaning that I think we need to dig into. And so wormwood is G894 in Greek, and it's from the Greek word aposynthos, and it's a kind or a type of bitterness. And wormwood's only used twice, as I mentioned earlier, so it's a very specific meaning in the New Testament called wormwood. But one would expect there's a connection to the Old Testament, and there is. And I think we get there with understanding that wormwood means bitterness, and the waters become bitter. They become wormwood. So it's like they're poisoned, like they're somewhat destroyed. And we're also told that in Revelations that the waters are bitter and that makes the water bitter. And that's the Greek word uh, pekoranino, which means to make bitter, to taste bitter in the mouth and the stomach. So not only will it be tough to drink, but it will be harmful as in a pestilence or a poison to eat or drink. And it can also mean grieve bitterly and embitter, render, and angry. So embitter leading to anger. And I think all of that's in the meaning of the consequences of a third of the fresh water being destroyed. There's not 
enough water today to go, you know, to generally satisfy the need uh, of the world today. And let alone if we were to take a third of that away. And then where in the world does that third disappear? So it's a significant thing that we're talking about as we're understanding wormwood and bitterness. That is the after effect of what happens with wormwood. So if it's a planet, I'm not sure how a planet coming too close is going to call a poisoning, cause a poisoning of the waters. And how I don't see scripture telling us that a planet is coming close. I mean, that may happen, but I don't see that within the scripture. And that if the planet were to get too close, it would be an extinction event. And I don't see that coming in the trumpet judgments. You can argue we'll get there at the time of the wrath, but of course Jesus is going to step in and stop that. So in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, let's see whether or not that turns up in parts of the Old Testament because we need to make sure everything fits. And so in Hebrew, we get the word wormwood showing up a few times as in Deuteronomy 29.18, Proverbs 5.4, uh, Lamentations 3.15 in Amos 5.7 and as Hemlock in Amos 6.2. And so in, Deut in Deuteronomy 29.18 it's used as in combination with uh, a root that bears gall and wormwood. And gall is the, is the he Hebrew word rosh as in head that uh, chief is also associated with but in this case as a head on a poisonous plant so like the big head of an opium plant or a poppy plant it was better stated or it could be hemlock or it could be understood as coming from the head of a snake as in venom so we need to understand how that works with wormwood but obviously we get a poisonous companion word with wormwood which is gall and so wormwood is the Hebrew word la'ana or lana l-a-a-n-a-h and that means bitterness or to curse poisonous as in hemlock so again we need to understand that John was was Jewish and that this is being documented in Greek but he would have understood things from a Greek perspective just as he's asked us to understand Armageddon as it would be understood in Hebrew and I think we need to rely on the Old Testament to help us define what's going on because there's a lot of prehistory and a lot of meaning that helps us to define but it's consistent with what Revelation 8 is talking about in terms of wormwood and bitterness we're getting the same words it's poisonous. And then if we look at Proverbs 5, 4, where we get <coughs> wormwood used, um, we get that uh, a, a phrase where her end is bitter as wormwood and as a double-edged sword. So it's bitter, again, that's being used, and also with wormwood. And again, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that helps us understand. And that word bitter is the Hebrew word mar, which means bitter and angry. And again, I think there's going to be a lot of anger that's going on in the destruction of the world um, in, in the last seven years. And then Lamentations 3.15, we get another usage where 
it's discussing that he has filled me with bitterness and drunk with wormwood. So again, we get bitterness again and we get wormwood. So I think you're getting the same sort of application in the Old Testament as how we should understand Revelation in the New Testament and then how it comes out of Greek and how and what it says when it's translated into English. I think you, we find it, we're finding a consistency there that there is a poisonous effect of what's going on with this war that is seemingly coming through the sky um, as being, you know, a mountain that comes through the sky and also you have hail and fire. And I think all of this is talking about a war. That's my speculation as I understand it anyways. And in Amos 5-7, we get a dual prophecy. And so it's a prophecy about the time of Israel and it's also a prophecy of the end time. And we get an understanding of wormwood out of there as well. So in Amos 5-7, it talks about those who turn from justice turn to wormwood. Okay, so those in, 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 the, in the time of Israel, who's, who's going to be destroyed, and this is the northern kingdom in the time of Assyria that's going to take them away into exile, we get this wormwood use again. And what's interesting to me about that is it's kind of a link into Revelations because, as I said, this is a dual prophecy. And it's a time both then and in the future where... Israel is going to be asked to seek the Lord to live. And in the end time, we're going to have Israel awakening, called by name. And I think this is going to begin sometime in the last seven years. And I think that's part of the commission of the 144,000 to awaken lost Israel, as well as to preach to the world as part of the first fruits. And that ends at the midpoint, as Revelation 14 talks about, of Revelations. So we know this is an end time verse because as it continues or it has end time overlapping as a dual prophecy as well as a prophecy for that time, a dual prophecy. In 515 it says God will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. So he does have some mercy with the violations of the covenant with Israel at that time. There's a remnant that goes into exile and then, to, and then lost into the world. But I think this is speaking more to the remnant of Joseph in the end time. And verse 17 says there will be a wailing in the vineyard. And just as I've talked about in past shows that the fig tree is representative of Judah. The, the uh, vine is allegorical, prophetic, prophetic allegory for the northern kingdom. But it goes further, and this is kind of where it sort of clinches in, is, is that immediately following that, it says that the Lord or Jesus will pass through your midst at that time. Now, that did not happen in the time of the Assyrian exile of about 721 BC. But it is remnant of Micah 2 and Micah 5. And in Micah 2, 12 and 13, this is the time of the gathering of the lost tribes that they're going to have the Lord and their king with them and will lead them as the breaker out of the prisons that they're going to be put into because they're awakening to remember who they are called by name. And that second exodus is going to happen as Ezekiel 39 talks about 
and Ezekiel 37 uh, in the last three and a half years after the Gog War, after the Revelation 9 War, after the Joel 1 and 2 War that I've talked about in a lot of other uh, shows. And when we look at um, the day of the Lord is, is, and this is going into verses 18 and 20 um, uh, in, 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 the, in the book of Amos, uh, it says, Woe to those who long for the day of the Lord, for it's a day of darkness, not light. So we're getting a connection into the end time, and we're also being told that um, one should not want to be part of these times. I mean, you can look at as as being blessed, but if you're part of what's going to happen in the tribulations and then in the, uh, the wrath of God, that's, that's not going to be good to go through. So how does this fit into then what Jesus said? So if we understand that a poisoning can be like a pestilence, and I'll connect that in a second, you start to understand that the birth pangs or the beginning of sorrows that are in Matthew 24, 8 included wars and rumors of war. And war is the cause of these things being flung through the sky that destroy a third of the earth, a third of the oceans, and, and then a special... Um, type of weapon perhaps or as a consequence destroying a third of the fresh water that people won't be able to get fresh water in many parts of the world and that you also have that goes along with it earthquakes and you also have pestilence and famine so you're going to have a third of the vegetation taken away you're going to have a third of the water you're going to have famine that's going to be happening on the earth and the earth is going to have the skies darkened so it's not going to be good for growing crops and so this is starting to work together in terms of understanding that the birth pangs are getting stronger just as you had 25 percent destruction in, in the seals and you would have 100 percent in the bullrass and that revelation 8 to 12 the destruction is coming from a war and just as I talked about uh, and just to give you those terms again you have hail and fire from the sky you have a burning mountain that hits the sea and then you have the star wormwood that's getting uh, the fresh water and this is a pestilence of wormwood and I think it has to do with radiation in terms of that disease or that pestilence. We're going to have other pestilences as well, but I think this is probably an outcome of, of radiation. So, And you have, as I was mentioning earlier, all of these trumpets working in combination with the culmination to an Armageddon-like war that Antichrist is going to use to come to power on, that I've talked about in other shows. And so this is part of that war. We're getting different aspects of it, just as in the Wrath Bowls, we get all of the things that are going on that are going to lead to the Armageddon battle that are you know, part of that same sequence of events in the year of the Lord's Wrath, right? So you can imagine that this might be happening over a year as well or a period like that. And then what's interesting, and I know a lot of people might be aware of this, and maybe people aren't, so I'll just mention it. We had an incident in the 80s in Chernobyl with radiation poisoning. And I was at a place called Chernobyl. And in Ukrainian, wormwood means, or Chernobyl means wormwood. 
And so that may be a bit of a foreshadow as to what we ought to be expecting. And then in Revelation 8.13, as it ends with the wormwood aspect of the prophecy, you get an angel flying that's going, whoa, 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 for the three woes, which will be subject of my next show, the three woes, and that these are three angels with three woes that are left to follow. Angel 5, Angel 6, Angel 7, and in the days of the trumpet that leads into the wrath bowls, that will lead us into the mid part of the last seven years. And so that will um, take us up to the abomination point that Jesus is talking about in the first half of his oration. And then that last three and a half years is where the ending of the, the days of the trumpet happens and then there will be the reign of the Antichrist and you're going to have the year of the Lord's favor and you're going to have the year of the Lord's wrath. So you got two years, so you got about a year and a half of things going on with Antichrist before Exodus starts and before Armageddon. And so the timing is of Wormwood is sometime just before the midpoint of the last seven years. And just as um, we have an Antichrist figure in the trumpet wars in Revelation 9, which is part of the same as the Revelation 8 trumpets, just again, all of the different events, we get that war in, in Revelation uh, 9, which is that Joel 1 and 2 war and the Gog war when Gog in Greek and in Hebrew means an end time antichrist figure as one of its figurative meanings. And so we have many antichrists as Jesus likes to talk about in Matthew 24, 24. There'll be many false prophets and many uh, false Christs. And that's repeated again in, in Mark 13, 22. And, and false Messiah is a pseudo Christos. He's, it's an antichrist figure that we talked about at the beginning of the show. So in 1 John 2.18, we also get told there's going to be many antichrists in the end time. And in 1 John, that was 1 John 2.18, and 1 John 2.22 goes on to say is antichrist will deny Jesus. So we should be expecting a denial of Jesus as the word of God. And 2... Uh, John 2, 1, 7, there will be Antichrist, and they deny Jesus came in the flesh. So we need to understand that's going to be part of the, the, the Babylon doctrine and then the Antichrist doctrine and, and his religion. And so if we understand that there's going to be many Antichrists, and there seems to be many wars, you can look for an Antichrist type figure that comes for the Revelation 6 war that everybody thinks is going to be the day of the Lord as well as it says in Revelation 6.17 and then one for the trumpet war which is the Gog war and that this is going to be the one that the true Antichrist will use as his Armageddon saying that he's defeated the Antichrist. So we need to understand the Antichrist and how that fits in and how I think Wormwood helps us to understand that as it connects back into uh, the Antichrist understanding through Planos as a deceiver, as an Antichrist figure, and how it fits into the chronology that Jesus lays out and how Revelation fits into the chronology of uh, what Jesus has told us. And that the 144,000 are part of the first fruits that are also shown in Revelation 6 that are going to wait for the 
saints of the tribulation of the affliction Philippians in, in the first part of Matthew, the affliction of, of, of the Christians standing up for Jesus at that time, they're going to be martyred like those in Revelation 6 and are showed in Revelation 7. The last of the first fruits are the 144,000 and the two witnesses at the midpoint of the last seven years. And in Revelation 14, we get that with the 144,000 ending their commission. And then we get the summary of the last three and a half years. So I'm hoping that made some sense and uh, looking forward to talking to you um, in a few weeks on uh, the three woes. And until then, may God continue to bless you abundantly. Thank you.